Welcome to episode 74 of the EDM podcast. Uh, this is a show where I, Sam Matler, typically interview artists, producers, engineers, uh, industry people, but this episode is a little bit different. A few weeks ago, my friend Serik, uh, who's better known as Hyperbits, he's been on the podcast twice, sent me a message and said, Hey Sam, I've got an idea. What if I interview you on your podcast uh, and ask you a bunch of questions? I'm sure people would appreciate that. And I thought, why not? Let's do it. So in this episode, uh, I am the one being interviewed and we talk about a few things. We talk about workflow. We talk about creativity. We talk about my favorite books. We talk about my background. Uh, and it was just a really fun episode. Some hard questions, definitely. It's I'm not used to being interviewed, so um, it's good to be put in in the interviewee's shoes and realize how difficult my questions can be to answer. Uh, anyway, I hope you enjoy the interview. Let me know what you think. You can also let Serik know what you think. He is at Hyperbits on Twitter. And yeah, without further ado, here is the interview. This episode is brought to you by EDM Foundations. EDM Foundations is my course for new producers, those who've been producing for under 12 months or even those who've just started. The whole idea of the EDM Foundations course is that you learn the fundamentals of music production by actually doing and not just learning the theoretical stuff. The course consists of over 12 hours worth of streamable video where I walk you through the creation of three songs and give you advice and tips for working on your own original alongside them. We've had over 500 people sign up for this course. Many of them have had great results. If you want to learn more about the course, head over to edmfoundations.com. I just want to say that I'm super pumped to, to be doing this. I've, I've never interviewed anyone before, so I just apologize in advance if I you know suck at this. You have a ton of listeners of the podcast and I feel like you don't really talk that much about yourself. You obviously offer like some insights and whatnot, but I doubt that a lot of people kind of actually know your story. So I thought we could just kind of start there. Like, how did you get into this? Why are you pursuing EDM prod? Like what's been like, how did you get to this point now? Oh man, this is, uh, it's kind of strange. Like the roles are reversed and <laughs> I always ask this question, but to answer it, I suppose it starts all the way back when I was 10 and got into music, like got into, I, you know, I played like an instrument when I was five or six, but you play the flute and well, not the flute, a recorder. Come on. Every kid does that. So I got into playing drums and then guitar and that was cool. And then around, I think it was 14, two things happened. The first is I wanted to make more money because I was getting like five bucks a week from mowing the lawns, which was fine, but you know. Not quite enough. Not enough. Not enough for what I wanted at that age. And so I, I went on Google and I searched on my iPod Touch, I searched how to make money online as a teenager. And all, there's like a, a blog post with 101 tips or something. And one of them was, oh, you can start up a blog. So I was like, what's a blog? So I looked into it and it's like, oh, you can blog about anything you like blah, blah, blah. And I was like, cool. Well, I'll start a blog about skateboarding. So I did that for a year and pretty much the exact same time as I started that, I started 
listening to electronic music. Like I just downloaded a uh, compilation of iTunes because got an iTunes voucher for Christmas. It's like, what else am I going to get? I'll download something new. And I was like, man, this is awesome. Like it was Eurodance, cheesy Eurodance. But I was like, this is cool. I've never heard it before. A few months after that, I was like, it can't be that hard to make. I have a computer. I've got lots of time. So I downloaded FL Studio and kind of got going and, and I sucked. And I did it for like a few months and then kind of just left it, put it aside. I was working on the skateboarding blog. Um, and then I picked up production again, maybe six months or a year after. And most of my time was going towards that. The skateboarding blog kind of just died down. Like I'd spent two hours a day on it for a year, wrote 90 articles, I think, and it made no money. So I was like, as much as I love doing this, it's just not, like it's not a good use of my time. Anyway, school's happening. I'm making music, making music, making music. And then around age 17, I was like, oh, I'm going to give this online business thing another crack. So... I don't know why it didn't occur to me to start a blog about music production at this point. It just didn't. Maybe I thought it wasn't feasible or I wasn't experienced enough. So I started a blog about personal productivity. I'm not going to mention the name because people will be able to find it on like, what's it called? The Wayback Machine. So I did that for about eight months and it was June 16. It was my birthday. And I woke up and I was kind of like, I, I sat down and I looked at what I was doing and I looked 12 months into the future and I just couldn't see myself writing articles about personal productivity. I was like, this is not what I want to be doing. And this was the first year out of high school. Um, I was living at home, but we had like this little cottage out the back. So I was living in that self-contained unit. And I was like, I don't want to be doing this. I want to put everything to music, like full time into music. So I had to sit down with my parents. I was like, here's what I want to do. They're like, okay, we'll give you six months. But like after that, you know, you need to be earning money and so on and so on. We're not going to just pay for you to live forever, which is a good thing, actually. I'm glad they did that. Otherwise, I would have become complacent. So the idea was to go, you know, full-time into music. I just wanted to become the next Hardwell. So full-time into music and running a blog about music production on the side to earn money because I knew that like six months to become a professional artist, not likely. Within two weeks, that switched over. So I was spending most of my time on the blog and a couple of hours a day on music. And that was partly subconscious and partly conscious. The conscious part was, I don't, I think I watched a documentary. It might've been the Armin Van Buren one. Yep. And then I heard something about Skrillex playing like 300 shows a year. And I was just like, I do not want to do that. That sounds horrible to me. <laughs> Honestly, like I want a family. I want to like be at home. Okay, I like working from home. And so I kind of just made that half conscious decision to not pursue an artist career. And that's what I tell anyone who's like, oh, you're just writing articles and, and stuff because you can't actually make it as an artist. It's like, no, I, I don't want to. So yeah, that's what's around. And then kind of just wrote articles for like a year and... In the second year, it kind of started taking off a bit more. Launched a couple of Udemy courses. And it was like, oh, this is actually a thing. And two and a half years later, we're here. That's the 
yeah, that's kind of a long version of the story, I suppose. Because your parents had given you originally this like six month timeline. Like, was there anything within six months specifically that happened that you were like, you know what, like this is definitely worth pursuing? Was it like web traffic? Was it actual sales or like what, what was it? You know, it was, it was web traffic because I'd run two blogs before and, you know, I knew that the numbers. So just for comparison, like the productivity blog after eight months had 100 email subscribers. And before EDM product even launched, it had about 300. We put up a coming soon. We, I put up a coming soon page. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it launched with like an actual audience, which was like awesome. And then the traffic just grew and grew and grew. And I was like, okay. And then put out a course and 500 people signed up. We put it up for free initially. Well, I put it up for free. It's really hard to say I now because like this is more than just me, but it was just me back then. Yeah, and I think that was kind of the moment like after it was free for 48 hours and then after that, like the first sales started coming in and I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like people are paying to learn and they enjoyed the course, which was even better. Like They weren't like, right. I just gave you X amount of money and it's not even good. Yeah, the, the concept of making uh, making money or making a living online doing your own thing. I mean, that's a pretty incredible concept, right? Like it's, it's still to me pretty amazing that, that I guess we're both lucky enough to be doing that. And, and I feel like there's a lot of things that you just said that, uh, as far as your story goes, that kind of, I mean, I've always viewed you as someone who's kind of wise beyond their years. Like I, first off, I want to say, like, I'm always amazed how young you are. Like you're doing all of this as a teenager, as a teenager, I couldn't get my homework done. Like, I don't know what, like how you were able to do that. But as I've gotten to know you over the years, I feel like, I mean, you read a shitload, like you're, you are an avid reader and I don't think I've ever spoken to you for more than like five to 10 minutes without some sort of like a book reference being thrown in there or like, you know, like, and so as I was like thinking about questions to ask you, I was like, I I cannot conduct an interview of Sam without like talking about some of your most influential books. Like, so I want to hear your personal, like three to five, maybe most influential or just favorite books and, and why. And then if also after that, if you could just buy one book for every single music producer or just any creative artist in the world, what would it be? Oh man, that's such a huge question. <laughs> I knew I should have written this down because I knew you were going to ask this question. Top three to five most influential books. Meditations by Marcus Aurelius had quite an impact. It's really hard. It is really hard because like there haven't been that many books that just one of them just like hit me really hard. It's kind of a culmination of maybe 10 to 20 and they all merge together and Hmm. it's like now I get it. No, but that's that's an answer in and of itself, right? Like I I think what I want to get across here is maybe more more important than than like your most influential books like what what is reading doing for you that like you've kind of always been i don't know slightly i think self-aware and and driven and and pretty wise as far as as far as i'm concerned so i'm just curious because like because if that's your strategy right like maybe it's not about one book maybe it is about like you know a magnitude of books or just tons of books i mean yeah yeah, I mean, there have been a few and I'll, I'll get to them, but I will talk on that for a moment. I used to hate reading. Hmm. I mean, I used to read fiction when I was younger just for fun. And then I went through that period of like three or four years when reading just wasn't cool. And like, if you read at school, you were a geek. Yeah. And so I was like, I don't read. 
I don't read, bro. Like, come on. Why do you read books? Um, and then I th- what what happened? So I was running that productivity blog and I was reading articles and it was like, I'll start up a mastermind group. So I did. It was like 16 or 17, yeah, 17 at the time. I didn't know what I was doing. And there were like four of us, just bloggers. One guy from the UK, one guy from Arizona, another guy from either UK, two guys from the UK. And someone recommended a book called The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy, which is just your typical like personal development, you know, mm-hmm. um, do stuff consistently every day and you'll be successful. Uh, and so I read that and I was like, wow, like, wow. So I started making changes and saw results. I was like, I just got that from one book. I should read books. They seem to be helpful. And then I think I realized one day that like, well, I read it somewhere. I can't remember where books are mentors. If you think about it, when someone writes a book, like the compound effect, like the power of habit, whatever, whatever you want it to be, it's years, usually years of experience, research, failure, success, compacted into something that you can read in like four to eight hours and it costs you $20, maybe even cheaper. Yeah. Like when you just think about that strictly in terms of, yeah, like the numbers, that's just insane. Yeah. I mean that personally, that has always been my viewpoint towards whether or not I should buy a book. Like for me to get my $20 worth, how hard is that? Right? Like it it could be one sentence or one passage or one thing that maybe influences something as small as like an afternoon of my life or something. And to me, like I could justify that being worth $20, you know? So I feel like it's not hard for like, if there's, if I have any inclination of like being somewhat interested in a book, I'm just going to go ahead and buy it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing. And and I would like, this is a habit I've kind of picked up. And I think Ramit Sadie talked about it. He's like, if you're thinking about buying a book, just buy it. And I'm, I'm pretty bad at it. Like if I see a book recommendation, I will go into Amazon and I'll just click one click purchase (laughs) and like dangerous habit. It's so bad because, okay, I probably read about 20% of the books I buy, maybe even less. I'll get to them eventually, <laughs> maybe. I, that doesn't bother me that much because it, it also reminds me of what I don't know. Plus, plus, I do feel like sometimes, you know, a, a book, like maybe you buy a book and it's just not the right moment or the right time in your life to read it. And like if it's sitting there on your shelf, it's a lot easier for that moment to kind of present itself to you in the future where, you know, maybe this is, maybe this is the right time to read something. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. I I definitely feel you on that. But so, so to get back to the question then three to five most influential. Yeah. So, um, this might surprise some people, but the Bible, uh, I am religious. Second would be anti-fragile by Nassim Taleb, which is a phenomenal book. Actually. Yeah. No, going back to the original question, there have been influential books. This was one of them because it kind of shook up the way I viewed the world. So his two books, Anti-Fragile and The Black Swan, highly recommend them. Um, the Black Swan especially, like that just blew my mind. So when you, when you say shook up, like the way you viewed the world, like in, in what way? Like- okay, so The Black Swan is all about uh, randomness. So he made the point in the book that a lot of us, like a lot of humans just kind of live thinking that because something's always been a certain way, it always will be. 
here's the example of like Lebanon where he grew up. And I might not, I might not be um, faithful to what he said because I can't remember that well. But they went through a civil war and then they came out and then it was like pretty peaceful. And he remembers his his granddad saying something like, oh yeah, it's going to be, it's just going to be peaceful because it has been for the last 20 years. And then like the day after a bomb got dropped on the city or something and like everything changed. And in the Western world, we kind of think, you know, you and I have grown up in relatively like a, a relatively good environment. You know, we have shelter, food, all this kind of stuff. And it's easy to just start thinking that that's normal. But if you look at most of human history, it's not. Hmm. Like war is more common than peacetime by a huge factor. Hmm. And so he's saying it's kind of like, we're kind of like the turkey that's been fattened up for Thanksgiving. It's it's thinks that every day it's going to get food, you know, it's eating, it's having fun and life is good. But then one day, it gets killed. But I can't see that coming because it's just looking at the past and it's assuming that it's always going to be that way in the future. Right. And that's what we do. But we, we don't we don't kind of anticipate random events. He calls them black swan events. Black swans aren't common. Um, so a black swan event could be like the 2008 uh, economic crisis or right. like the Holocaust or something like that. So when I was reading that, I was like, wow, true. Like I kind of just assumed that Life is always going to be this way, but tomorrow something could happen that completely like changes the course of history in New Zealand, wherever. And that's an interesting thought. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's fascinating. It, it's, it's almost like liberalizing your mind to be prepared for just, you know, a- anything beyond the norm. Um, I mean, it's, yeah. it's fascinating. And as much as I want to probably just talk about stuff like that for the next hour, I feel like I should try to keep <laughs> pushing you into, uh, you know, the direction of creativity or music production. So sure, this, the last half of that original question, if you could buy one book for every music producer out there, and it doesn't have to be music production specific, yeah. right? It could be about creativity or whatever. What would you recommend everyone reads? Can I mention more than one? No, man, this is my interview. You're not allowed to, uh, to break. No, of course. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Well, I, I think Mastery by Robert Greene is a really good book. And I've recommended it many times. But I would also add to that Ryan Holiday's book, two actually, Ego is the Enemy. That's a great one. Really good. And you're like, oh, I'm a music producer. I don't have an ego. Yeah, you do. Trust me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so read that. And also he just put out one called Perennial Seller, which is also really good. So it's all about creating work that lasts. Like how do you create a book or music that lasts more than just two or three years. Beyond that, Turning Pro by Stephen Pressfield, The War of Art is good as well, and Deep Work by Cal Newport, because most creative people just don't know how to focus anymore, and it definitely has an effect. Yeah, the, those are. I mean, those are all really, really great suggestions. The only one I would add to that, uh, for for me, would be "Steal Like an Artist." I feel like that. Oh yeah, it's a good book. That's something you can sit down and read in forty five, like an hour. You know, like it's super quick. But I love that one. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Cool. I, yeah, that I, was like six books, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're not really sticking to the uh, to the answers too much. But that's okay. You've interviewed at this point, how, how many exactly, how many artists overall, or I guess music industry people Ooh. have you interviewed? 
60 plus. Okay. So 60 plus, have you picked up on any like common trend or theme that's, that's kind of, I don't know, accessible across all of these individuals or, or just anything specific across all of these people? Oh man, I was interviewing Willie Joy the other day. Do you know Willie Joy? Yeah. He runs his own podcast. I asked him this exact question. You know, one common theme is that producers, professional producers, because a lot of them are, treat music production like a job. As in, a lot of them have, this is surprising to me, a lot of them have a set schedule and they don't all work late at night. In fact, very few of them do. A lot of producers wake up, you know, get in the studio eight or nine, ten, work a set schedule, go home. And that might not sound appealing, but like it's that's they they say that's what they need to do to get stuff done. Yeah. I mean I can I can totally, totally relate to that. At the end of the day, it's an enormous amount of work, right? And it's something that you have to pretty much do, you know, consistently like any other profession. So this idea that just because you're in a music themed uh industry right where there's this idea that there's like rock stars and you're always partying and all that and like you can be up late and getting your work done like i mean maybe it works for some people it definitely did not work for me that way and most people that i talk to that do it well and you know do it great they they treat it like a like a job as well so that's people have a over romanticized view of creativity and what it takes to make it as an artist yeah. Definitely. That's not even an opinion. It's just, yeah. <laughs> That's just a fact. <laughs> I'm of sorry. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. But so to follow up on that, then which, if you had to like, which interview out of all the 60 plus interviews that you've, you've done has actually like impacted your life or maybe just like stuck with you the longest, like where someone's like persona or attitude or vibe or whatever, you know, just kind of like, you know, like you couldn't shake it. You were just like, ah, oh, this like that person really left like something something good for me to to think about oh man there's been so many well there's one with with a guy called hyperbits which was really good <laughs> and <laughs> appreciate that no, that was good but okay i'm just gonna i'm just gonna open it up and kind of look there's been there's been more than one but i think it was really interesting talking to joey suki about him burning up um, you know, he was, he was touring the world and he just burnt out and he's like, I'm not made to be a DJ. It was a really honest interview. I liked that one. Super genuine interview. I thought. Yeah. 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 I would say that one or maybe, I mean, Booty's interview was really good. Like how to crush music marketing in life. Booty is a genius. And I came away from that like super, super driven. I definitely yeah. agree just because we both know Booty, obviously. And there's something about that dude. Like he's such a smart person. But every time I talk to him, I come away from the conversation, like just super motivated and, and feeling a little better about myself with, which, you know, like that in, in and of itself as a quality, like that's a pretty special thing. Not a lot of people can do that. And I think that's why he's such a good like boss and why he can run a company so easily and successfully, you know, like. Because he's he's good at I think at bringing out the best in people. Hundred percent. I I just remember like us we were all in Croatia and you know we're having dinner and he's like he keeps bringing the conversation back to what's important. 
<laughs> Did you notice that? Yeah. Like, okay. So, so guys, like, <laughs> yeah, like, like if you left it up to me and you, we'd be down a black hole talking about the most unrelated tangent. It's like laughing about something. Yeah. And, and then with, well, this is cool, with booty there, every, every 15 minutes, he brings it right back to the original point of the conversation. He's just, he's so focused. It's incredible. Really good. Yeah. 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 No, I have a lot of respect for that guy. Yeah. So, so to keep going here about like music specifically, I mean, you kind of touched upon this, I think with one of the book recommendations that you just made, but do you feel that producers are making kind of tracks like instead of songs, how do you focus on making a song timeless so that it doesn't really fizzle out in a few weeks or in, or in a month? Like, is, is there something that you've like noticed that, I don't know, like this, there's like actual tactics or strategies that producers can, can do to, to pull this off or, or what are your thoughts on the whole subject? So two disclaimers. First is I'm not going to speak from a position of experience that I've made like a popular song because I haven't, but there are certain qualities that contribute to that. The second thing is it's up to you if you want to make tracks or songs like they're, they're kind of two camps. There's the, Oh, I'm sick of like hearing tracks, you know, like big room songs, like oh, big room tracks. Sorry. Just start making songs again. Um, but you have to realize like there's some people out there who just want to make things or tracks for the club that don't last more than two or three years. And if you want to do that, that's cool. If you want to capitalize on a trend, go for it. Like Diplo does that, you know, people respect him. So in terms of making songs compared to tracks, yeah, I think more people should focus on it just because I think it's a better way to go where you want to go. Um, or if you want to reach success, I think making songs is a way to go, especially with Spotify coming in now. Like people don't really want to just hear tracks. They want to hear something that they'll save to a playlist because it affects them emotionally. You know, there's a good book about this, which I've read some of. Uh, John John Levito recommended it to me. I think it was called The Hit Factory or something. Um, but it was like a pop producer and he kind of laid out like deconstructed all the properties of a successful hit song, which I cannot list now because I can't remember, but it was a lot to do with like hook, melody, all that kind of stuff. You know, I think, and this is just my personal opinion, but maybe it resonates with people. I don't want to make work more and more. I don't want to make work that just fulfills a purpose that lasts like six months. I want to make work that is still being consumed 10 years from now, 20 years from now. And honestly, like a lot of my, like the articles and stuff won't be consumed 20 years from now. Um, so that's what I'm thinking of more and more. Like how do I make something that lasts? And yeah, I think there's an ego thing there, like legacy, whatever you want to call it. But I don't know. It's, uh, this has definitely been influenced by Ryan Holiday. Like all his books can be consumed 100 years from now. They'll still be relevant. So that's kind of what I'm thinking. And as a, as a musician, if I was focusing full time as an artist, I think that's what I want to do. Like make songs that can last for a while. And I think that comes down to the music itself, like the composition. That's why people listen to classical music. You know, it's not because it's mixed super well or anything like that. It's the, the notes. Yeah. I, I'm just smiling as you say all this, cause I'm thinking about it from a music producers perspective. And I think it boils down to a bit like, I, I really think that it's a lot harder to do that, right? It's clearly just a lot more difficult 
to make something timeless, right? And, and it's also something that I don't even know if you necessarily have full control over, right? Like you no, can you definitely go into no. like a creative phase with that intention, but whether or not you actually like achieve that, right? Like who, I don't even know if we can like achieve that ourselves, right? It's dependent upon a lot of other things, which I still think is a, like, I think that if you kind of go into your producing sessions, right, or go into making music with that perspective of like, hey, I really do want to make something timeless or special. Maybe it's just going to kind of adjust all the little decisions that you're making throughout the, the composition process, you know, so it'll just affect you long term regardless. But maybe it's just something that you have to just keep in mind and kind of keep in the back of your head always that like not going for the small wins, but but always trying to think of the big picture. Yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not actually sure how to approach it. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I it's tough, man. This is really just opinion, but I do think there should be more of a, I don't know, like a striving to be original, a, a striving to make music that tells a story. Uh, it sounds so lame and cheesy, but like, <laughs> no, that, I don't know. You, you just, oh, like, I totally just, agree with. I think, yeah. I think for a song to impact me emotionally, it has to, it has to be, like it has to kind of present some sort of a journey, right? It has to have these lulls and these dynamics and these changes and, and take me on some sort of an emotional roller coaster for me to like genuinely care about it, uh, especially over time, right? Because I'm the type of person who puts on a song and puts it on repeat until like everyone in the room hates it for like, because I overplay stuff. So like, so for me to like, for me, for a song to be timeless, like it really, you know, it has, it has to, I think, be fairly special, but you know what? Um, I, this is this is one common pushback. It's like, oh well, you can't make music for the club that also tells a story. Yeah, you can. Oh, uh, definitely. You know, I do this thing. I don't know if you do this, but when I want to focus, like when I'm working, writing, whatever, I'll just play a song on repeat, like the same song Tim for an does hour. That, actually, yeah, that's where I got it from. I think. But the song that I've been playing recently, which I heard in the car just on Spotify Shuffle. And I was just like, this is awesome as Himalaya by Landscape. And it's just like a real simple house, like melodic kind of thing. And it's got a good beat. You could, you could listen to it. You could dance to it, but it's got enough of like the, this, I don't know, like unique sounds and like, it's a catchy melody. And like when I just listen to it by itself, it's like, this is cool. Like I, I feel like I want to climb a mountain when I listen to it, you know, but at the same time, it's like repetitive enough that I can work to it. So I like, I like that balance. I like that. Right. All I was going to say is how much of that almost like infatuation with the song just boils down to being like a very personal, like personal balance for you. Right. Like, yeah, exactly. Which is why just going back to that originally, right? Like, I don't know if artists can really control making a song timeless. They can certainly try. And I think that's a great intention, but it's, it's, it's super hard, at least in my opinion. But Right now, we've just been somewhat trying to give some advice, I guess, right? So I'm sure <laughs> you do, like, you would deal with this stuff on a daily basis, right? Like, you're trying to provide the best advice for music producers in general, right? Like, trying to get them from point A to point B in, a, in the fastest possible way or, or just in the most efficient way, whatever. But I'm sure that you've, as you've been in this industry for a while now, like, you've probably heard some pretty awful advice. So... And given it, I'm sure. <laughs> right. And I think I have too. <laughs> I mean, a lot of the stuff that I say, I, tr I try to like, like I'm, you know, I, I really believe in a lot of it, at least at the time that I was giving it, but regardless, yeah, it's another issue. 
So, so what would you say like is the worst advice you've heard or something that you hear consistently? It's hard because I kind of try to avoid it as much as possible because it just infuriates me. This isn't this isn't really explicit advice in the sense that you don't really see anyone say this, but they kind of it's kind of implied sometimes, and that is that you have to do everything as a producer. And it's just simply not true. Like you don't have to be the best sound designer. You don't have to be the best mixer. You don't even have to be the best songwriter. Focus on like like it depends on your goals as well. So this is what I always tell people. If you want to produce behind the scenes top 40 music, which is totally a viable career path, why would you focus so much on sound design or mixing? When at the end of the day, you're probably going to be using presets because there's it's just a lot of time involved in sound design and someone else is probably going to help mix it down. And if that's your goal, like why would you... Why would you incur that opportunity cost focusing on those other things? Unless it's simply for the enjoyment and fun. So I would say that, like, you know, focus on a few things and do them well. I think that applies to any area of life, actually, because you just don't have the capacity to do everything. It includes marketing as well. I think that a lot of producers, including myself, jump the gun when it comes to trying to build their brand and promoting themselves. Yeah. Um, and like I've had, I've had debates with people about this. Like not formal debates, obviously. Imagine that. Could you imagine like having a panel or like a formal <laughs> debate in the EDM industry? Do you know how sad that would be? A formal anyway, debate. Oh man, it sounds pretty depressing. I bet someone's done it though. Presets versus no presets. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's 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 do this. So we just talked about worst advice. What about advice for new producers? Oh, yeah, I can answer this. First things first, read the article that John Levito posted on EDM Prod. It's, it's called How to Systematically Learn Music Production. He talks about how he like nailed music production in a year. You know John. Um, yeah. He made really fast progress, and, and the reason is because of deliberate practice. So I would look into that, and related to that, focus on the craft, like, I think if you're a new producer listening to this, you're going to be distracted by a lot of stuff just naturally. But what you want to do early on is set in place good habits, which include like work habits. So don't just try to produce in like a spare five minute slot. Actually schedule out time, 45 minutes plus, to really focus on music or on learning. Second thing is if you have money, extra money, buy a course if you want EDM foundations is great according to other people not myself but if you have extra money beyond that I would advise investing in like a coach or a mentor because that will help you avoid mistakes like that is the one thing I think that's going to speed up the process and the third piece of advice is be very aware of oh my goodness I always forget what it's called Dunning-Kruger curve? I don't know right, if that's yeah, how you say it. I think that's right. Yeah, be very aware of that because it affects most people and it's like, it just slows down your learning, you know, because you'll start out and then a few months in you'll be like, I'm so good at this. <laughs> like I am I am God's gift to the world of music production, which was what I thought, you know, like when I started. Until you experience the dip. Yeah, until you experience your dip, which lasts a long, long time. Um, so just be aware of that because you will probably think that you're really good. 
And the better you think you are, the harder you'll crash when you kind of face reality. So, and that's an ego thing as well. So just be aware of that because, yeah, like if you think you're good, you're just not going to have as much. Yeah, you're not going to be as open, right? To receiving constructive criticism and you're not as open to, I don't know, collaborating and, and, I don't know, new technique, everything, right? Everything that that I think adds up to being half decent at this whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And one last piece of advice for that in in regards to that is focus on quantity over quality early on. One of the biggest mistakes I see people make is they start out with music and they spend like three months on their first song. Yeah, this is huge. Really, really slow way to learn. Like you're you're just not going to make a masterpiece in your first six months to a year. I'm sure it's happened before, but it's just like really not common. Um, and by the way, I've noticed that the people who like tend to become really good producers really fast, like in a year, A, they're working extremely hard and B, they've got like a musical background and it's normally quite intense. Yeah. Yeah. The, the whole, I mean, you, there's so many good points in there, but I feel like the quantity over quality thing is just so important. You know, like it's kind of like if you were learning web design, right? Like you can, you can sit around learning like a few bits of code here and there, but it's not until you actually build a website that like you're ever going to be able to put any sort of like pieces together. And I feel like that's the best way to learn. Like if I wanted to build a website and I had to, I don't know, learn how to make a, a menu or like a navigation or something like you can only learn about it on its own for so long until you actually have to incorporate it into the website anyway. So when you're making a song, like you don't need to tackle all of sound design to make one amazing lead in that one moment. Like mm-hmm. let those opportunities in the music as you're making it, let them present themselves to you so that you can tackle those, those issues or those problems or those things that you're not good at as you, as you create music. So yeah, that's, that's the only thing I would <laughs> add to that. Cool. So let's, let's switch gears a little bit here. I want to talk a little bit more about you. I feel like overall, I mean, you're a pretty, you're a pretty productive person. Um, you seem to get a lot done. I mean, you have a business, right? You have an, you have employees, like you're, you're achieving a lot of things and I want to understand like why, like what, what are you doing to kind of be productive? And I guess for, before we even jump into that, maybe just start with like your typical morning routine. If you even have one, like if you wake up, what is, what does the day kind of look like up until, I don't know, about like noon or, or halfway through the day? Man, everyone says I'm productive. I just don't feel it, <laughs> you know, but I think that's totally normal. My routine changes quite a bit because I go through kind of phases, but there are common consistent kind of things. At the moment, I get up around five to 5.30 and I will um, have a shower pretty much straight away because I, I find that I can't really operate until I have a shower and I do a cold shower at the end which I find really helps not that long maybe like 30 seconds to a minute I think that's one of the biggest things it just wakes me up straight away and then I'll make breakfast and I'll have a coffee and I'll read for a bit and then I'll pretty much start work straight away and um, I try to get like the hardest thing done uh, in the morning like first thing hmm. which doesn't always work it was like the opposite of me. I always, I'm all about procrastinating for that. I mean, I'm not, I shouldn't be like that. I feel like what you're talking about is awesome, but, but keep going. For some people it works. I, if I procrastinate in the morning, I, I'll just continue throughout the day. <laughs> How deep do you want me to go? Cause like I can, I've got like the system for working, but it's not, 
Might not interest that many people. Yeah, the key, let's go a little further into the day, maybe just until like you're finishing up with work. Well, so the first thing I do when I sit down is I get a piece of paper, like just, you know, lined paper. I write down the date and then I write down like five critical tasks. And if I get these things done, like it's a, it's a successful day. And there have been days where I finish at like 11 and I've, I've done this. And you know what? I don't feel guilty for finishing at 11 a.m. Yeah. Um, that hasn't happened in a while. But <laughs> I was about, I was, so I write down these, I was about to say, yeah. I, I kind of do like something so similar. And I feel like for the past few days, I've just written the same five things like over and over. Oh, totally, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Same. <laughs> and then under that, I, I just like, I work in kind of, I call them focus blocks. So I'll take a look at the time. Let's say I start work 6.15 and I write down, okay, focus block one, I'm going to pick one task. Let's say it's um, write a marketing email or something write down the time that I start, I just work, work, work. And um, then I write down the time that I'm finished. And the plan, which has not happened yet, is to eventually like calculate all that and then compare weeks and days and so on and so on and graph all the data. Um, Hmm. But that'll take a while. So I work usually, you know, throughout the morning. A typical day would involve quite a bit of writing, admin stuff, if we're working on a new product, recording, um, podcast interviews happen once or twice a week and then around lunchtime I'll go to the gym or go for a run and then come back eat do a bit more work but it might be like lower energy work so emails and then I try to finish around like three or four but sometimes it it goes on a bit later and then my evening is I have a really hard time I was gonna talk to you about this we can do it off air but like just I, I need a schedule and more fun things to do you know <laughs> yeah like I, I read for a bit talk to it's gonna say girlfriend but she's my fiance now i keep forgetting that congratulations by the way it's t- it's a tough Thanks, transition man. to plus it's such a that word you know it, it just sounds so pompous like your fiance like it just <laughs> sounds so like proper you know it does it does and i think that's about it and i try to get to sleep at like nine but Dude, I'm so tired. Like the last five days, it's been getting to bed at 10, 30, 11 and then just not getting a good sleep. So I probably shouldn't have got up at like five-ish this morning. That's the thing. Sleep, like losing sleep just isn't good for you. I don't care if you love Gary Vaynerchuk. It's just not, it's not going to help you out. Yeah, I'm not one of those people who uh, like jeopardizes on on sleep. Like I really believe that like sleep is one of the most important things. And I'm just, I'm like a at minimum eight hours guy. Like if I don't get my full eight hours, I feel it. And then like, if I can get a little more, I, I love that. But for people, I, I tried also kind of experimented with this and I've tried the whole, like, you know, five hours, six hours sleep just to get like more work done. And you're not being more productive. It's like, a, it's, you know, it's not a sustainable approach. At least for me, it wasn't. I think, it can be sustainable up to a point, but like, like for instance, for four days I was fine. Yesterday, just consistently, like five, six hours a night. Yesterday I woke up and I was fine, and then like I'd done about thirty minutes of work, and it just hit me, man. Like I was, I, I was like, I have to lie down. Like I have to lie down for a bit. I'm so tired. Yeah. And I just lay there. I couldn't get up. I was just, you know, and, and that's not good. Like it is not good when you're at that point. I don't know why people glorify it. I don't know why they think it's cool to be tired. It's not normal and it's not good for you. Yeah. And you will get to like 40 or 50 and you will be paying for it. 
Yeah, Absolutely. It's a really strange like phenomenon as far as this working culture that promotes the destruction of your body to achieve yeah. whatever task is, you know, most recently important for whatever company you're working for. I, I don't understand, like, I don't know where it came from or why it's still so prevalent, but yeah, it's, I think, awful. I think I know why. Let's hear this, it. This is my, you read this a lot. Is how I, yeah, well, I think, <laughs> I think it's, it's simple to say that the only way to success is to work really, really hard. It's a simple, and then you can look at Elon Musk and it's like, oh, he works 16 hours a day. That's what contributes to his success. Well, yeah, it does, but he's also an incredibly smart guy, like very, very smart. And so people look at that and they go, well, the the thing I must do to get to where I want to be is to work really, really hard and like sleep less because that's what everyone else is doing, except that's not true. It's only the people, it's only the fact that like that is a good story. So that's what will get published. Like you won't hear many stories about people who are putting in nine to five and just have a completely normal day. That's why I like Cal Newport and that's why I like his book, Deep Work and the other one, um, which I forgot the name of, but he does nine to five. He has a family. He crushes it. Like he gets so much work done. Yeah. To, to me, that sounds more inspirational than the people yeah. telling me to like just always work harder and sleep less and, and mm. all that. Like I, I, I just think that again, it's not a sustainable life. It's not. It's really not. Yeah, there's plenty of people out there who work 20-hour weeks and get more done than I do. So yeah, if, if anything, it's I feel like the idea that like of working less should be the more popular idea. And I guess to some extent it is, right? With like four-hour work week and that whole like yeah, dream yeah, yeah. whatnot. But yeah, I, I just feel like I think it was um Derek Silvers and uh like the founder of CD Baby. He talks about how everybody wears this like busyness badge of honor, like mm-hmm. running around mm-hmm. as if like, oh, so like true. Being busy is this, like, like it makes you sound important, right? It's a, it's like a self-serving ego thing. If I'm so guilty of that, though. Oh, I mean, I am too. And but I, I feel like I actually am genuinely busy because I feel like I haven't put the the proper infrastructure in place in what I'm doing and in my business. So like, I am busy all the time, and like that's not a good thing. Like to me, Derek Silver has got his business to the point where he could only he only had to work on his business for I think four hours every six months. Like that to me is incredible. Like and he even says like when people would then reach out to him and be like, Hey man, I know you're busy. And he'd be like, no, <laughs> I'm not, yeah. I'm not busy. What- I've done that before. I remember saying that I did it. I felt so pretentious, but like someone emailed me and was like, Sam, I know you're busy. And at the time I really wasn't like, I was just on top of it. It's like, yeah, I'm not. Why? Like, why did you assume that? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah, it's a dick thing to do. So basically my, at least my goals for, you know, the years to come is to be less busy. I don't want to be someone who's running around like like their heads cut off, just trying to get things done all the time. That to me, again, sounds unsustainable. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the, I'm the same. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to do the four hours a week thing because I do like working and I do like getting to the end of the day feeling accomplished and like satisfied but I never feel accomplished and satisfied when I've had like that long, long day. That's just not really, you know, when you do a lot of small things, that's the other thing. I really don't know how many people who, who say they're working 1600 days. Like I, I feel like they could compact that a little bit and just focus harder yeah, and work faster, you know? <laughs> yeah. So true. So, I mean, there's, there's so many things inside of that that we could keep talking about, but let's try to, I guess, stay focused. The problem is that we don't have booty here to keep us on task. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can talk about it's other guys, things. Come on. <laughs> but uh, I have a fun question for you. I hate fun. <laughs> well, you did. You did mention that you need to schedule more fun things into your life, which I am also guilty of too. By the way, I feel like it's very <laughs> easy to just always kind of stay focused on routine and what you're kind of doing on a day by day basis, as opposed to like sure. scheduling in like new, different, exciting things. But Maybe we will talk about that at another point. Anyway, I have this question that I'm completely stealing sort of from uh, from the Lewis Howes podcast. Basically, you know, EDM Prod, it's a brand that's catered around service and helping music producers get better at their craft. And I feel like you do a really amazing job with this, but I wanted to throw a kind of a hypothetical at you. Basically, if you were, um, if you were to like take every single piece of work that you've ever put together for EDM prod, every, every blog post, every interview, every course, every tutorial, literally everything you've ever done for EDM prod. And just, it got deleted. It was destroyed, literally just completely gone from this earth. But you had one last chance to address every music producer in the world, or it doesn't even have to be a music producer. It could just be people. Let's keep this more global. So if you were addressing every person in the world, but everything you've ever worked on is gone and you could only talk about two or three truths, right? That you just know completely to be true. What would you say and why? Think about your own death, not consistently, but like if you haven't done it before, think about it because it could happen at any moment. And think about it to the point where like it does really kind of affect you and the reason is because I I think a lot of people kind of just ignore the fact that you know eventually you're going to die and when you think about it 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 forces things into perspective as in as what I'm doing really worth it should I make changes related to that I think a good mental tool that I that I acquired from I think it was the one thing he uses it to to encourage productivity, but like, okay, if I contracted like a heart problem and could only work 20 hours a week, what would I do? It's like, well, what if it got worse and I could only work 10 hours a week? What would I do? Use that not just to be more productive, but also to think about like what's really, really important. If you could only exert energy for 10 hours a week, what would it be on? That's not really a truth. Uh, second. Um, <laughs> I think that's a truth. There's a, there's a truth yeah. in there. Yeah, I think so. And and the second thing is, I don't know how to really articulate this, but this is something I kind of see in the production community is that people get very, very, it's a little bit narrow in a way. It's like music is my only passion. Like if I don't become a full-time artist, I'm not going to be happy. I Honestly, I kind of find that sad because I, I don't know why, I just do you should be able to get joy out of more than just one thing. Or like like if your happiness rests on that, I think that's problematic because there are things outside of your control. So I would say try to try to develop a curiosity which helps you find enjoyment in almost anything. I, I like that a lot because I, I really think from a kind of a macro perspective, right? Like when you when you like look at your life like something like music, right. Can be a very driving, passionate, uh, business or, or hobby or whatever, or passion, I guess. And that's completely, that's completely fine. That's completely cool. But 
it really is only one component, right? There's so many other things in life that to me, I feel like almost um, invigorate my passions for music or, or like to me, it's like I'm most inspired to make music when I'm not making music, you know, like that to, right. to me, it's like the, these, all these things just kind of balance each other out. And so I don't know, there's something that really resonated and hit home like very nicely with the way you just said all that. The other thing is you can, yeah, you can go deaf and like, yeah. it doesn't happen often, but that's what I'm trying to say. It's like you, yeah, I think the fundamental, like fundamentally it's don't be too dependent on things. I'm not saying don't trust anyone. I'm saying like reduce dependencies in your life, whether that means like, for instance, and I, I don't say this to brag, but I think reading a lot of books, like it has kind of developed that curiosity so I know that even if EDM prod fails, first of all, I could get a job fairly quickly and I'd still enjoy it. Like maybe not as much, but like I'd still, I'd still, I still enjoy it. Like I still enjoy the work. Yeah. I think, I think most topics in life are pretty damn interesting if you go deep enough into any one of them, exactly. right? Like if, exactly. and if you don't have that perspective, like that's fine. I just, I don't really like understand that or relate to that. So last question, what's, uh, what's happening next for, uh, for DM, for EDM prod? Like what's, uh, what can we kind of expect in like the weeks, months, years to come? Yeah. So we're launching a new course very soon on the 13th, uh, called build your artist career that is made in collaboration with Joey Suki, which we mentioned before the, the ex or former world touring artist who burned out and he's now a professional artist coach. So that's coming up four week course learn a bunch of stuff how to develop an, an actionable plan design a plan for your career network so on and so forth and then yeah then next year we're looking at launching a few other things and yeah just things are going to continue going as they're as they're going more podcast episodes um looking to do something exciting with episode 100 maybe we'll see what happens there and yeah well, cool, man. This was a lot of fun and I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity, you know, the, the privilege and the honor to interview you and the trust to even like have me attempt and, you know, of course, man. attempt the role. Of course. No, it's been super fun. Like it's good to switch positions for a bit. Yeah. It might um, help you, uh, you know, create some empathy for all those, those hard questions you've been asking. 